Welcome to Upstream with Jim and John, father and son conversations about discipleship and culture in the Pacific Northwest. I'm Jim, and today I'm flying solo. This is a roadshow version of Jim and John. Welcome to episode 105. I'm in Dallas, Texas, where I've been this week for a conference with some of our staff and then stuck around longer to visit my mom, have dinner with some of my, well, actually all of my siblings with my mom, and just had a great time. And so uh, we decided that we would do a gym, a gym Thoughts episode uh, from here in Texas. So here's where it's going to happen in episode 105. might be a little bit shorter episode than normal, but I plan to, uh, instead of story time, tell you about a new Texas classic, iconic location. And then I'm going to give you four... Um, Four different categories, four different, let's say, let's say four different big ideas that have been tumbling around in my own faith journey. Uh, My convictions are growing. I'm still processing these and have been for about a month, Uh, some of them less than a month. But just uh, there seems to be a convergence of these four big ideas in my own spiritual formation and in my own sense of what God is trying to do, uh, not only in my own life, but perhaps in our country. So, uh, first, let me tell you about uh, where I'm where I'm sitting right now. I'm in the parking lot of a new Texas phenomenon called Bucky's. Now, Bucky's is spelled B-U-C-K dash E-E apostrophe S. Now, if you have had any experience with Bucky's, right now you're going, oh man, because it's an incredible place. It's nothing more than a gas station. But it's so much more than a gas station. First of all, there's about 100 pumps out here. And then this place is huge. Picture basically a slightly smaller Walmart. It's a gas station that's as big as a Walmart and sells almost anything you can think of. They have deer feeders where you can set those up on your deer lease and feed deer to bring them around so you can shoot them more savagely, you know, pretend you're a real hunter when you attracted your deer with corn. Uh, They have 100-pound bags of deer corn. They have uh, wood racks to stack your firewood at your house. They have uh, wood smokers they sell. They have uh, fire pits already prefab you can put on your property. And then inside... They have, I have to say, they have the most amazing gas station bathrooms on planet Earth. Every stall is a floor-to-ceiling length door. You get a lot of privacy and space. It's clean. The bathroom, they could probably facilitate in the men's room. I'm going to say they could facilitate 100 men at once in the bathroom. You've heard everything's big in Texas. That's that's Bucky's. Everything's big in Texas. They have uh, some clothing. They have food and snacks of all kinds of a wide variety of coffees, uh, ice cream, barbecue. I must say, now I'm gonna I'm gonna hate on my Washingtonian friends, but the I just had a brisket sandwich from Bucky's, and this gas station brisket sandwich is better than any barbecue I've ever put in my mouth in the state of Washington. I hope that doesn't hurt your feelings, but a brother's just got to tell the truth and. It's amazing. They have uh, all kinds of hot, fresh food. 
They have uh, T-shirts, cowboy hats. Uh, I can't even begin to tell you everything they have. If you are curious, you can probably, I'm sure they have a website. Uh, this place is just amazing. So that's a new Texas classic. They're kind of scattered all around Texas. Uh, I'm actually north of Dallas, close to a city called Denton, and that's where this Bucky's is. Uh, tonight I'll be visiting a friend of mine, uh, actually a high school buddy. I could tell you a story about meeting my buddy Dougal uh, at a poker game our freshman year of high school before either one of us knew the Lord. We've been friends ever since, and he lives up here, so I'm going to be going to his house a little later. Anyway, let's dive into today's episode, and I'm going to uh, process four kind of big ideas, and I feel like in the, in, the, um, in the effort of full transparency, so you can decide if you want to listen in or not, I'm going to give you all four um, big ideas, and then I'm going to unpack them one at a time. Uh, the first one is that biblical discipleship is taking the place in our country of cultural or consumer Christianity. There is a increasingly rapid death of cultural and consumer Christianity. And at first, that can sound like really bad news, but there's a great thing replacing it. I want to talk about that a little bit, give you some stats. Secondly, uh, this idea that's been captivating me for really the entire COVID season is the idea of being spirit-driven, spirit-led versus strategic and uh, calculating in our lives, both as if you lead an organization or if you manage a business, but also just managing your own life. Uh, this pivot to spirit leadership, we'll talk about that. Third is uh, this new strategy in my life <clears throat> to follow the love of God, to understand how radical that love is, and to let his love lead us in topics that are controversial, political, divisive, and moral. So we'll talk about that. And then the last one will be this um, ineffectiveness of the classic church model to reach people who are currently far from God, pre-Christian people, uh, and that God is up to something. Not to the, He's not up to the death of the current church model, but of the refinement of it and the launching of some new ideas and I have some ideas about the new ideas. So there's your four topics. If that captivates you, keep listening. If that bores you to death, uh, apologize. You could probably hit pause right here and wait for next week's episode when John is back and we have a little more stimulating conversation perhaps. So let's dive in. Uh, topic number one is the death of cultural or consumer Christianity. Uh, saw a stat just a couple weeks ago that... Um, 47% of Americans say they are members. They say, I am a member of a church, a synagogue, or a mosque. Now, the thing about that is this is the first time in American history that it's been under 50%. And in January of 2020, it was 70%. So COVID has cleaned out a lot of church, mosque, and synagogue connections. And now, uh, right here in 2021, only 47%, so a drop of 23% in a year. This is a staggering statistic. This is, this is one of those uh, statistical experiences that, that uh, analysts would call uh, 
you know, just defining. And it's a big shift in our culture. And at first that sounds uh, like bad news for the church. And I know a lot of pastors are terrified. Church attendance is changing. The way people engage with their faith is changing. But I actually think God has been up to something pretty significant. And that is to go ahead and let consumer Christianity and cultural Christianity die a rapid death. And uh, for people actually to figure out what I think, what I hope will happen is that people who have not been all in on Jesus, but have been consumeristic in their church pursuits or cultural in their Christianity, which means um, that their faith is an add-on to their life, but it's not the essence of their life. First of all, I think that's the most miserable kind of life a person could live. And so I'm glad for that to to run its course and for people to be exhausted by that and to give up on that. And what I think is taking its place is a revival, if you will, of true biblical discipleship. That is to walk very closely with Jesus in our daily lives, to live in complete surrender to the authority of his word, to seek to live our lives anchored in him, to make decisions not based on what we desire or what we think is smart or what is culturally current, but to make decisions based on the lordship of Jesus, to really have a a worldview that is consists of only three words, Jesus is Lord. Now, compare that to the kind of Christianity we saw through the COVID and the election cycle and through masks or no masks, through debates and discussions about LGBTQ+, um, thinking about the Second Amendment. Just take this small example, and I'm probably going to upset somebody, but I think this is a conversation we need to be having. Um, I believe in the Second Amendment as an American. I believe that gun ownership is a legitimate uh, American right. But I'm just thinking about this just as one tiny example of what I'm talking about. Uh, I hear a lot of Christians say, you'll get my guns when you pry them from my cold, dead fingers. And if somebody breaks into my house, I'm going to shoot them right in the face. I will not hesitate to kill someone that's breaking into my home. I would not hesitate to shoot someone who is seeking to hurt a, a member of my family. And this kind of powered up, uh, you might see the same thing from a parent who tells their son, if somebody picks on you at school, you kick their butt. This is the way I was raised. You know, don't start a fight, but you better just finish it if it, if it happens. And when we're Christian families, when we are disciples of Jesus... It's fascinating to try to integrate this kind of thinking into our faith. What would Jesus ask us to do, for example, if we're a 12-year-old kid and a bully's picking on us? What would Jesus ask us to do if we're in our home with our concealed carry and someone starts to break into our home? And what does it mean that we would love our enemies what would it mean that we should pray for those who persecute against who persecute us? What would it mean to turn the other cheek? And if these don't apply in that radical of a situation, when do they apply? And when do we lay aside our rights? It seems like we American Christians are obsessed with our rights. We should stand for them and fight for them and 
insist on them. And it appears to me that the gospel drives us to be co-laborers with Jesus, to be reflections of his body, for example, and uh, join him in his suffering for the unrighteous uh, so that his glory could fill the earth as the waters cover the sea and people who are far from God can find themselves to him. To have a deeper attachment to the, to the gospel of Jesus Christ and to the scriptures than to my political party. To believe not in the policies of a political party, but to believe in the principles of God's word and have my decision-making, my financial activities, my social interactions, my response to immoral people, my response to my enemies, my response to people who persecute me, my response to opportunity, my response to wealth, to have all of my responses shaped simply and profoundly by the Word of God, by full surrender to the authority of Jesus. Uh, I think that's what God is up to. I had a friend say the other day, a boat that is 85% um, sealed, in other words, water can't get in there, is still going to sink. And what he discovered in his life is that when his faith was 80, 85% of his focus, he could still sink and that it was a miserable life. And the only life uh, of Christianity that makes any sense, the only Christian life that can sustain us and lead us and guide us and equip us is an all-in death to the self, allegiance to Christ, live your life under his authority to be a slave of Jesus. This is freedom. This is fulfillment. This is guidance. This is truth. This is wholeness. This is wisdom. And so, uh, yay for the death of 85% Christianity, and yay for the revival of full, unadulterated, unashamed, complete surrender to the Lordship of Jesus. This is going to be a key I think, in what God has in mind for our country. So that's item number one. Item number two is something that I was learning all through leading a church during COVID. Um, Gather, don't gather, mask or don't mask, engage in uh, social justice issues or stay quiet, become politically active or not. Um... There were so many ways for Christians to divide. And when you're leading a church that's got no ability to gather on weekends, that is experiencing whatever economic adjustments need to be made, trying to figure out how to lead, what decisions to make, you can go one of two ways. You can listen to the experts. You can follow the analytics of the data of both uh, people's behaviors economic trends, people's giving, you know, none of these, I mean, I'm, I'm, I'm a firm believer in strategic planning and leadership. I probably read more things about that than, I don't know, not than anybody, but lots. It's my natural bent is to understand, assess, make a plan and execute. I mean, that's how I normally operate, but I felt very compelled at the start of COVID back in March of 2020, 
that my strategy should be to very simply listen to God. Uh, What I did was I increased my prayer time, reflection time, alone time with God exponentially, probably four to five times what I was used to. I created big windows of time to do nothing but reflect, listen, pray, journal. I begged God to give me step-by-step leadership. Um, I don't need to be see the big picture, but Lord, tell me what to do today. Uh, give me guidance on decision-making. I will simply do what you tell me. And what occurs to me is, and by the way, that has been, man, life to my soul. I believe God gave us a lot of favor during this whole season. What comes out of that is this belief that that's how God wants fully devoted followers of Jesus to live their life all the time. Lord, speak to me, guide me. I got a conflict with a neighbor. Lord, what should I do? What shall I say? How shall I react? How shall I respond? Lord, I've got a job opportunity. What should I do? How do I respond? What do I, how do I navigate? I've got a meaningful relationship with one of my kids or my spouse. Something's going on there. What do I do? That truly in every matter, God is inviting us, I don't think to burn our strategy books or our parenting books or our marriage books by any stretch, but to major on seeking God's face and to try to increase our ability to discern his voice and simply follow his leadership to do that personally and to do that with whatever leadership roles you have in your life whether they be family leadership or relational leadership or vocational leadership, to allow yourself uh, really to stake all, put all your leadership eggs, your life wisdom eggs. I'm going to walk as closely to Jesus as I can, and I'm going to do whatever the Spirit prompts me and guides me to do. I heard somebody say uh, recently, Uh, as a group of elders from a church and they said what they try to do as a group and as individuals is walk as closely to Jesus and as closely to each other as they possibly can. And they said, you want to hear our five-year plan for the church? Our five-year plan is to walk as closely to Jesus and as closely with each other as we possibly can every single day and to do that for five years. That's the kind of simplicity to planning that I'm talking about. You know, I'm 59 years old, and I'm working on retirement planning and um, how our life will transition over the next, you know, 10 years. And uh, while planning is a smart thing, the Bible calls us to do that. I have this this deep conviction and belief that what God is asking me to do right now is just walk really closely with Jesus, really closely with Sue, my wife, really closely with some friends that love Jesus that I can trust and know and my family. And to do that uh, every day. And that if there's an investment I need to make, I'll get prompted by God to do it. If there's Resources that I should let go of and give away, he'll prompt me to do it. If there are adjustments to our housing, whatever, 
that actually, this is the belief, that actually the smartest person to set up my financial future, the smartest person to set up my vocational future and my family future is God. So it turns out to be genius to just walk really closely with him and do whatever he tells you. Uh, follow his leadership, which will uh, lead often to sacrifice, um, to self-denial. It can lead to some sacrificial question uh, decisions and some self-denial decisions and some terrifying decisions, but it also can lead to abundance and provision and joy and profound meaning. All right, so we're two topics down. Hope you're doing okay. Um, I got two to go, and these will go, I think, well, I'm not going to say they're going to go a little faster, but they're going to, they're going to, we're going to keep moving. Okay, item number three is this idea about the love of God. I've been provoked that God's love is stronger and deeper and more unstoppable than I ever actually realized. And here's the way I would word this big idea is following God's love into relational grace and truth with other people versus a non-relational, non-loving process of sticking our truth flags in the ground and saying, this is the truth, and I don't care what you think or how you feel. The most common example of this is um, conversations about sexual orientation, gay marriage, gender fluidity, um, all those kinds of topics. And it seems that that um, it's easier to just stick our flag truth in the ground of what we say the Bible teaches rather than get messy and let the leading edge of our conversations on this regard. This is what I this is the, what I'm trying to say. The leading edge of our conversations with people about these topics or any topic needs to be relational grace and truth by the leading edge of God's love and then make our way to truth. So to shift and be the presence of God's love in the world as our primary strategy and uh, the syllable in which, upon which we place our emphasis, that our emphasis is God's love We are the presence of his love. We are the expression of his love. We are going to offer his love. We're going to point people toward his love. We're going to overwhelm people who don't know him with his love and allow his love to then guide them to truth. And we will take that journey with them and with ourselves and arrive at truth. Now, this requires that we recognize our own desperation our own utter dependence upon God's love and our own unworthiness of that love. It has occurred to me that I can't even repent well. Like even my repentance is motivated selfishly by what I want God to do for me in response to my repentance. So truly even my my own remorse for my sin is not that I've wounded God or that I've misrepresented his name or that I violated my relationship with him. Truly, my deepest motivation in repentance is I want to be forgiven so that I can move on with his favor and blessing on my life. Even my repentance is tainted by my selfishness. 
And this is true of all of us. And so to, to just come to terms with that and recognize that whatever we do in our lives, however stupid we get, hurtful, sinful, rebellious, dark, immoral, depraved, whatever deep hell we take ourselves into, we will find in that deepest, darkest hell the love of God drawing us, waiting for us, welcoming us back to the family. I would love for the reputation of Christians, I'd love for my reputation, I'd love for the body of Christ's reputation to be those people love like no one else we've ever known. There's so much division, so much hate, so much arguing in the church, outside the church, and in our country that we could we could truly transform the world if all of our eggs were in the love basket, God's love. I think that would be definitive. I think that would be demonstrative. I think it would be powerful. I think Jesus meant it when he said, all the law and the commandments hang on these two things. Love God with everything you've got and love all human beings the way you love yourself. I don't think we could go wrong if we would just adopt that, pursue that. Let that guide us forward in all matters of opinion, dispute, morality, arguments, theology, politics, neighboring, parenting, marriage, friendship, church, community. Can you imagine if the leading edge of all of our hearts was the profound love of God and to be the expression of that love in whatever scenario we're in. I'm pretty captivated by that. Um, and I, I'm not sure exactly. I know I haven't reached the end of processing that, but I'm pretty excited about it. All right. Drum roll, please. Item number four. And here we go. We're at the last topic of today's podcast. And that is that uh, I have reached the sad shocking, but really important conclusion that the current model of church, and really by that I mean the the way we've been doing church for over 50, 60, 70 years, isn't working anymore. For over 25 or 30 years, there is not an increase in church attendance in any county in the contiguous United States. Church attendance is in decline. And churches, uh, the church model that we have, and I would say the church I'm a part of is probably the healthiest, most beautiful expression of this church model that I have ever seen. I love it. And yet, the predominant growth of our own church over the last five years has been transfer growth from other churches. Christians relocating to our area, not people coming to faith in Christ who've been lost. When I think about people I love, people I know and love, young people, people I meet in the marketplace who have no church experience whatsoever. They've never attended church. They might've gone to one for a wedding or a funeral. They have no religious training in their life. They are not looking to the church for answers in their life. And they don't view the church as a place they want to find answers. 
They don't view the church as a resource for them. Something's broken there. I don't have any uh, great idea as to what broke it. And I don't really care. And so here's what I'm thinking is that the current church model in its best expression, which I think we're doing and finding our way toward, is really helpful for current Christians, really helpful for a certain kind of person. And it's not a but because that cannot stop. I don't believe that we need to abandon this model. I think we need to purify it, do it the best way possible, um, be the incarnation of Christ in this classic expression of the church. And we need to become laboratories of innovation, releasing, because here's what I think God is going to do. He's going to create movements of what I would call microchurches, movements of um, entrepreneurial innovation to both address social issues, transform communities, and also be expressions of a church, for lack of the better word. They might not even use that word. But what is a church? A church is a group of people who fellowship together, who worship together, and who serve the mission of Jesus together. Uh, that's a church. If you do that, then you're a church. Worship, community, mission. So what I think God is going to do is start to call out normal people. I think what God wants to do will not be clergy-led. This isn't about the professional pastors. We've, you know, we've leaned on that too long. And what God is doing is he's awakening whole generations of people with a deep desire to change the world. He's given them gifts, uh, deep love for Christ. And here's what I think, that what God wants to do is alongside the classic church model, birth movements of normal people who have new ideas and deep beliefs to give birth to micro-expressions, small expressions of a decentralized church that is interdependent with each other. They're in relationship with each other. They're in networks with each other. But they are serving social needs with entrepreneurial genius and relational love. And by doing that, they're also birthing new expressions of discipleship, of Christian community, and what you might call church. And I believe that through this model, through this, through this next wave, God is going to plant churches all over the country that Christians who've been sitting in pews giving golf claps to the professionals who preach and sing and quote-unquote do ministry, they're getting sick and tired of sitting there and thinking that a deep love for Jesus means I go to church, I golf clap the pastor, I drop some bucks in the offering plate, and I go to a small group. I think people want more. I think as they grow deeper in their hunger to walk with Jesus, as they desire to be fully sold-out disciples, they're also going to have a God-given desire and energy within them to change the world, to do something that's never been done, to step up and collaborate and cooperate with one another and... Bring this love of Jesus to the most 
painful, desperate places in our communities. And that through that process, they will also shape house churches, small churches, groups that gather together to both change the world and to worship. And I think we're going to see the vast majority of this uh, spiritual awakening God wants to bring to our country, which by that I mean hundreds and hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of people coming to faith in Christ, that that is predominantly going to happen through this new wave of church expression and expression of mission, not through the classic church models we've had. Now, I've not said it that plainly or rudely is what the words come to my mind, but I believe that. So let's just go on record. It's 33 minutes into this podcast. There it is. I said it. The most effective missional movements in our country will not come from the classic church model, but will be side expressions, new births, new movements, partnerships, and You know, our church is 115, 120 years old, something like that. I think you're going to see churches that don't have lifespans like that anymore. They come together, they are used mightily by God, and then they morph maybe into something else. Anyway, that's a side point. But um, I'm excited at my age to help the current church model become as healthy as it can possibly be on mission with Jesus and with each other and to release and resource entrepreneurial, normal Christians who have ideas on ways to change the world, create communities that, that are, that are relationally uh, connected and intelligently entrepreneurial to transform social community issues And by doing so, and while doing so, creating whole new expressions of the church that will have deep power for their lives and incredible witness effectiveness in the world. That's what I think. I think that's going to happen, and I want to be a part of it. Well, listen, those are my four things. I would love to hear your thoughts about any of those. You can email us at info at jimandjohn.com. There's no H in the John. Visit our website, jimandjohn.com. Go to our Instagram, Jim and John. You can DM us there. You can go to our, uh, we have a link tree in our bio of that. And you can, from that, you can get to our website or newsletter. You can get to messaging us, uh, other things. So listen, as always, thanks for listening. Really do love you. Appreciate your faithfulness. If I can serve you in any way, please let us know. And next week, it'll be Jim and John together again. So thanks for being a part of this with me. I love you. May God bless you. And may Jesus Christ continue his transforming work in your life and in mine. Thanks for listening. Have a great day.